0: Hey, everybody, welcome back to another episode of The Negotiation. I am your host, Todd Embley, and today I'm thrilled to welcome Simon Turing, co founder of Cube Asia, a market insights company for online retail in Southeast Asia. Simon is an expert in the Southeast Asian retail space, especially in the cosmetics and luxury sectors. Before founding Cube Asia, Simon held various regional leadership roles at Sephora related to e commerce and marketing, and currently serves as external advisor to McKinsey. Simon, welcome to the podcast.
1: Hi, Todd. Thanks so much for having me. Excited to to join the podcast. All right. Great to have you. Now, as we always ask,
0: where are you in the world today that we are recording you from?
1: So I am at my home in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia, uh, and I don't spend too much time here. uh, But uh, this week, I'm back home and it feels great. That's nice. I'm going to
0: call it KL from this point Mm -hmm. forward, because Kuala Lumpur... Sometimes it trips me up, so I'm going to go with <laughs> KL for those of you listening. Uh, you spent much of your career paths in parts of Southeast Asia, including KL, Singapore, Jakarta, Bangkok. What brought you? What's the backstory to how you ended up in that part of the world?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I wish I could say there was some big uh, a master plan to it, but it was it was really a coincidence. Um, I was just out of high school. Um, I'd sold my little uh, my little business. I uh, was looking for the next thing and I was enrolled in uh, uh, actually in economics to study economics back in Denmark. Um, and then I got an offer through LinkedIn to come and join uh, a venture builder in Malaysia of all places as an intern. And uh, That was supposed to be six months uh, and turned out to be, well, now 10, 11 years. Haven't really made it back. So that was the start. And then everything just took, you know, step by step. Uh, serendipitously yes. since then yeah
0: i'm familiar you and i were chatting offline a little bit about how nobody ends up in asia on purpose if they're not <laughs> from there um it's remarkable and even if you know just down the streets doing business everywhere we go we talk to so many people that are living and working and raising kids there and um how did you end up here and there was no master plan uh <laughs> you just ended up there and i i just love that that uh that now in, in the day and age that we live, you can just end up pretty much anywhere in the world and make it go and love it. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you're loving it uh, everywhere in Southeast Asia, especially KL. Um, I've never actually been there. I've been through the airport, but I've never mm-hmm. been there. But uh, I, I I just, the, the pictures of all my friends that are there, uh, it seems <laughs> amazing to be there. So, um, yeah. so I want to start with talking about your work at Luxola. Um, mm-hmm. online beauty retail in APAC, um, and then it was acquired by Sephora. Tell us a little yeah. bit about how you went through that, what you were doing, and what it was like to go through that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so Luxola was a um, kind of a, a multi-brand e-commerce for uh, for beauty products, started by an American entrepreneur in Singapore back in, I think, late 2011. And I joined the business at the end of 2013, after my time, uh, during that internship in KL. Um, and uh, I didn't know anything about the beauty space. I knew a little bit about e-commerce, but nothing about beauty. Um, and it was just a wonderful time to build that business. And what that business really was, in my, in my view, was an arbitrage on um, what beauty products were available domestically in the markets. Versus what products were consumers really longing to, to buy and to try? Uh, because one, one sort of very common behavior set back then that I didn't know about was that, um, you know, people from most Southeast Asian countries, if they went to Europe or the US or Australia or whatever, they would bring an extra suitcase or at least, uh, you know, save extra space in their suitcase to bring back products for themselves and their friends and their family of brands that were just not available in the markets. And uh, what Luxola was uh, uh, exploiting well um, was to go to those brands. And they they were not your L'Oreal's and Estee Lauder's. They were sort of the next set of indie brands and upcoming brands from the US or from Canada or Australia or Europe or whatever. Uh, So Luxola went to them and basically said, you know, there's this thing called Southeast Asia. It's a big mess for you to go there on your own because you'll need to comply with FDA requirements in each individual country. But if you go with us, we can just import into Singapore and then we can drop ship into every country in Southeast Asia due to some regulation. And that meant suddenly we were bringing to market these brands that had not really been available to consumers freely before and that turned out to work really well. Um, so that was that was the start of it. Um, and then obviously it just got bigger and bigger and bigger and became really the backbone of Sephora's e-commerce in, um, in Southeast Asia. Okay.
0: Now, so now you're at Sephora e-commerce starts to boom. How are you navigating that tremendous growth in e-commerce, um, yourself, uh, the work that you do and for Sephora?
1: Yeah. In a sense, uh, we didn't know it at the time. Right. But it was, you know, 12, 2012 to 14, I think was really when the party got going. Um, I think a lot of the fire was stoked by Rocket Internet's uh, uh, investments in the region. So they started things like Lazada, which is now very big, um, Salora, uh, many other e-commerce kind of copycat business models from the West. They started them and rolled them out across the region. Um, for me, it was very ex- it was a super exciting time. I thought that we were, I thought that we at Sephora were right at the at the center of it all, because the business was doing really well, um, certainly supported by a very uh, um, innovative and forward looking leadership like there was there was there were leaders in that business that really saw that trend and wanted to invest heavily in it. Um, that has turned out to be a great a great call now. But I think what's interesting is for for us, it looked like we were right at the center of it, but we were in a sense in the periphery because I would say 80, 90% of the growth came from the mass market and Sephora didn't see that. Mm -hmm. But it was just being in the periphery, just having exposure to the prestige market and sort of the upper end of the mass market was was plenty. Um, So it was only later when I had a chance to step a bit away from Sephora and look at e-commerce as a whole, which is kind of what I do now, that I saw, wow, prestigious, like, you know, a few percent of a few percent, right? Um, And it looked big to us, but then there's just there's so much more out there. Okay. Give
0: us a bit of a breakdown um, en masse of the entire cosmetic sector in Southeast Asia. Uh, Maybe talk about what are the most successful brands. And then maybe let's cap that off with how important online retail is for the beauty sector.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so so I, I think the percentage of mass, and then I think a very uh, typical beauty industry term is mastiche, which is kind of like when you can't decide if you're up or down, that's in the middle, and then prestige. That, that split differs greatly by country. Um, but one, the markets across Southeast Asia are still predominantly mass. Um, There are some that have a little bit higher exposure to prestige than you would guess from looking at their GDP. So, for example, Thailand has uh, just a bigger prestige market than they should have on paper for various reasons. But in general, it is predominantly a mass market. I don't know if this is still the case, but I remember a couple of years ago, probably 2018, 19, I remember seeing a figure that the prestige beauty market of Australia, which has what, 22, 23 million population, is bigger than that of Southeast Asia combined. Uh, just to put things into perspective, right? So it, it's still uh, predominantly mass. Uh, inside of that market, there is a massive, massive uh, uh, disruption going on at the moment. Um, the first uh, uh, chapter of uh, beauty e-commerce in Southeast Asia was, was really mostly uh, foreign brands um so your l'oréal's estelader shiseido and more pacific and so on like big corporate groups that hold several brands uh, they went in first and 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 did well and then what we started to see was more and more emergence of, of local brands um and those local brands in the beginning were generally quite bad um you know everything from branding to formulations packaging marketing they were kind of learning uh, f- from scratch, so not a huge threat. And like, if you went and met one of these big brand groups back then, they wouldn't even, they wouldn't even really care about this local competition. Now mm. that has changed a lot. So there is one: the emergence of very strong local brands in markets like Indonesia, Thailand, Vietnam, Philippines. If we look at what are the biggest brands right now, that many of them are local. And then there's also the emergence of. Uh, Um, what is typically called cross-border brands. So um, these are also foreign, but they are more typically from Asia than they are from the West. Um, Mm. Most of them are from China. Uh, Some of them are openly Chinese. Others are a little bit more uh, um, using, let's call it international branding, um, uh, but are super present. and, and, And those brands... Are, um, uh, for instance, uh, uh, you'd find several of them, several of them in the top five of beauty brands in Indonesia, uh, for instance. Wow. Um, wow. So that's 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 really changed a lot. Okay, uh, and just generally the
0: importance of yeah uh, online retail for the beauty sector.
1: Yeah, uh, it, well, it is it is very important. Uh, um, beauty is. Uh, One of the categories in uh, Southeast Asia e-commerce that has the highest uh, penetration, uh, well, highest penetration to e-commerce, it doesn't mean that beauty is the largest e-commerce category. It just means that the biggest proportion of total beauty spending is online. Um, So it's not uncommon to see brands having 30, 40, 50% uh, uh, e-commerce contribution now. Um, E-commerce is also where this new generation of challenger brands and local uh, insurgent brands have in a sense, been born. They are now moving into more uh, omni-channel distribution, uh, drugstores, own boutiques, things like that. But they were born online. That's what they know best. Uh, and so they are very, very good at that. Um, and, and now with the emergence of new, cha- new channels like TikTok Shop, which is a, 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 will be the most important story uh, for beauty e-commerce in the next year or two, um, they are just they're leapfrogging further uh, because the large brand groups are having a very hard time uh, uh uh really getting the commercial strategy for those for that channel uh, uh completely right yeah i mean in a
0: way i can i can see where the big brands are coming from there's a difference between somebody who speaks a language fluently and then there's somebody who speaks it natively right yeah the the bigger more established they might end up being able to speak e-commerce fluently but the challengers, they speak it natively. This yeah. is where they were born. And yeah. this is where they, you know, they are probably offline retail. I don't know, semi-fluent, um, you know, but they, they're, they, you know, they were built. And that's the benefit of, of the platforms. You get the data, you can test, you could trial, you can A-B test, you could do all kinds of things. Mm. And you can learn and grow so quickly. You can be so competitive so fast simply because of the ability to pivot and iterate so quickly, just such a low Mm. investment uh, to learn so much. So definitely um, threatening. I'm curious, I mean, would you maybe attribute that penetration of of e-commerce or online uh, retail for the beauty sector to just, like, let's say a price point Mm. Um, Mm. logistically, where smaller packages, I'm assuming, Um, trust in people being able to purchase something online versus something they need to touch or feel or something else. I mean, where is the attribution do you think Mm. for the beauty sector to be so successful in online retail?
1: Yeah, that's a, that's um that's a great question. I I think it's a combination of factors, but it certainly includes, so the price points are nice that they're not, it's not like buying an iPhone um, uh, where it's, you know, thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so I think the 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 worries about being conned or scammed are there but I'm not a you know a, a deal breaker um, it's also a category where <clears throat> most purchases are branded so versus fashion or something like that where uh, uh, it's it's just You have branded goods, you have unbranded goods too. In beauty, most of the stuff is branded, which means there's also a lot of replenishment missions and there's a lot of shopping missions where you are frankly just looking to buy what someone has recommended to you, whether it is a friend or an influencer. So it is a category that lends itself really well to search. Um, um, And I think in that sense, uh, e-commerce is quite nice because it, it, it... If you can find what you're looking for and you trust the seller and the platform where you're buying it from, all right, why not try? Um, So I I think it's that. And then it just, it happens to be that the brand formation, um, uh, there's been a lot of new challenger brands coming onto the scene. Um, And for whatever reason, they have found that it made most sense for them to start online. Um, uh, If I had to guess, I think it's because Online, you you are not uh, you're not so beholden to your distribution partners. Typically in beauty, uh, when you start a brand and you find a bit of growth, it is a bit of a deal with the devil when you go and speak to Watsons or Guardian or Sephora, or whoever it is, who say we will propel your sales, but we will also take a good chunk in margin, right? Uh, and and you're gonna play by our rules, and you're it's gonna Costco. have very onerous returns clauses and stuff like that. So I can imagine uh for these entrepreneurs that have started brands, they've gone, hmm, why would I want to give, I don't know, uh, a, a lot of percent to uh to a distribution partner if I can just go and sell on Shopee or Sada. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And
0: you know, I, I I'm you know I just think of this data point that I'm like interested to find out on on uh repeat uh business. I mean if you're textiles, um you don't really find a shirt you like and then buy that same shirt for five years in a row. Whereas I, I I'll be honest, I've been wearing Chanel blue for mm-hmm. a decade. I just mm-hmm. love it. Other people seem to like it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't have time to go sniffing for a few hours and you know, coffee bean and then the next one and coffee, you know? So, uh, I, I just, you know, and it's, and then I know, I know what I want. I know the shade, the color, the whatever, you know? So, um, and it's and it's just easier to do it online, then, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that's that's one of the things that the leadership of Sephora saw early on, um, where I was, you know, I was so lucky to be at the right place at the right time to lead omnichannel for Sephora in Southeast Asia for a few years. But the vision came from from my leaders, right? And and it was it was just very clear that they really understood that beauty is a combination of so many different shopping missions. And for some of them, you want it to be a candy store, which the the, the physical stores are very good for, uh, mm. super discovery focused. Then for others, what you want is, is, is to make replenishment very simple or to make comparison of products very simple. And e-commerce just lends itself really well to that. And I still think to this day that Sephora has done a really good job at articulating that kind of that omni-channel customer engagement mode uh, where it's, yeah. I think we used to call it browse, buy, ask, exchange, where you want. That was the, that was the, that was the label. Yeah. Yeah. Ah,
0: oh, there's so many things I even want to like returns and uh, the impact <laughs> on returns and the, you know, the different verticals or sectors and, you know, but anyway, but we're not going to do that. We're going to move <laughs> on. I want to get to the platforms, the e-commerce mm-hmm. platforms. So, um, you know, we've, we've, we've dallied in talking about the platforms out there, but give us from from your point of view, um, talk about the growth of e-commerce in the region and, yeah. uh, call out the, the, the biggest, uh, best largest e-commerce platforms in Southeast Asia.
1: Yeah. Okay. So, so I, I, at a high level, um, from let's call it 2013, 14 and up until last year, E-commerce was uh, growing in Southeast Asia at a compounded annual growth rate of about sixty percent. Over the COVID years, it then went all the way up to hundred percent, and wow. um, and that was the gold rush, right? So so brands, um, established brands, uh, basically just had to one decide that they were okay to do e-commerce, and then two put their products on one of the large platforms that were driving most of the growth. So this was first Lazada as the first sort of real regional player. Then it became Shopee, which was around 2015, 16, which became another big regional player. Then there has been the emergence of big players in some of the individual countries like uh, Tokopedia in Indonesia, for instance. And then more recently, like in the last six, nine months, that's when we've started to see um, TikTok shop as well. I'll, I'll come back to that. But just to complete the point on 60% compounded annual growth up until around last year. Then from this year onwards, it's a very different picture. So if we look at what we foresee being the growth path for the next five, six years, it's more going to be somewhere between 15 and 20%. So in a way, the the uh, per, per year. So the, the those 60 percent 80 percent growth years we believe are are over e-commerce has just become so big now that that it's no longer sort of growing into its natural size now uh, it will be a different game Uh, that has huge implications for how brands think about uh, uh, e-commerce and think about their pnl but that's we believe basically that we're starting kind of the We have started the second era, in a sense, of more steady growth. Now, back to the channel landscape. So who are the big players? It is indeed Lazada, Shopee, and now increasingly TikTok Shop as kind of the third horseman across the region. Um, I I said Lazada first and, and Shopee second. Shopee is the bigger one. So you could say Shopee number one, Lazada number two. And then increasingly TikTok shop as, as, a, as a number three, particularly in beauty and fashion, uh, where they have the biggest, uh, the biggest exposure. After that, it's, it's a, there are some local, like single market players. There are bits and pieces of, of, of other special, uh, specialized e-commerce. But if, if you are new to the region and bringing a new product to market there's really no reason to spend a single minute outside of those three platforms. Like just you could spend the next five years getting them right. And then, you know, worry about the rest afterwards. That's really where the party is at. Okay.
0: I'm, I have a question I want to ask around knowing from my background of China that one thing that China did really well was they gave a lot of opportunity to local tech and innovation and platforms and whatnot. They they knew that they were probably a little bit behind. So they bought time for locally grown to grow. They 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 didn't just let Google and Facebook and Microsoft and the likes walk in and suck all the oxygen out of the room. They said you can exist, but you cannot flourish. Mm-hmm. We will allow you to have presence, but we are going to preserve the sheer GDP of what's yeah. going to come for locally grown, but we're going to have to give them time to catch up. And I thought that was fair. I really mm-hmm. did. What do you think is happening in that region in that regard do you do you do you find that countries are following a similar pattern or have amazon and the likes just not been able to penetrate for other reasons
1: yeah the excellent question um as a whole i think there there are a couple of elements uh, to cover to give a fair answer to that question, the first yeah. is let's look at how friendly and open the different markets in the region are to foreign players. The only one that is really taking a stand is Indonesia. Um, Indonesia is the biggest country in the region, and they are really starting to behave like uh, like that. Um, foreign majority ownership of companies generally not possible you kind of have to play by their rules partner with local businesses for e-commerce one interesting tidbit is you have these um, uh, de minimis called de minimis rules for consumer imports so if you in if i in malaysia am buying something from a u.s e-commerce site or a japanese e-commerce site that tends to be a in, in this instance, in Malaysia, it's about 100 US dollars. If I buy something that's less than that, I don't generally have to worry about duties, taxes, handling, whatever. It just sort of flies under. Mm-hmm. Across Southeast Asia, that de minimis level is is generally between 80 and 120 US dollars. In Indonesia, it's $2. You know, they've brought it down from, I think, 100, then to like 50, then to 10, and then down to two. They really do not want you as a consumer to be doing e-commerce that is shipped from somewhere else. They want that to stay in the country, right? So a bit more mm-hmm. sort of close close posture. Um, at the same time, I think there are certainly, um, uh, there's a lot of that kind of ambiguity, uh, 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 maybe sort of on purpose in the market. I think famously Google, to my knowledge, still does not have an office in Vietnam, for instance, and, um, Google are selling lots of ads in Vietnam. How do they then do that? Well, uh, maybe you're served by salespeople in different countries nearby. Maybe they happen to fly in often. You know, it's it, so there is still a lot of that. Uh, but I would say in general, Southeast Asia is certainly much more open. And when you look at the big players right now in e-commerce, so Shopee, uh, which is a subsidiary of a listed company C that is listed out of Singapore. I suppose is a Singaporean company but with a global shareholder base. Um uh, uh Lazada is part of the Alibaba group. The TikTok uh, uh, Shop is clearly part of uh, of 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 the TikTok ecosystem, uh ByteDance ecosystem. So um so far like th- th- there are these real pure play local players, but none of them have really won. Uh Tokopedia in Indonesia was a serious contender and in some uh, categories is still bigger than, than Shopee there. Um, they merged with a local transportation player called uh, uh, Gojek uh, to form kind of a mega uh, um, super app um, uh, company go to that doesn't seem to be working really well for them. So I think although the local, uh, uh, you know, the, the Although the local system might be trying to hold a hand under them. Um, if we just look at market share, uh, these, I would call them regional global players, uh, Shopi Lazada and TikTok Shop are still doing fine everywhere. Okay.
0: I want to thank you for taking that on. Um, you know, in full disclosure, these are just our opinions. This is just your opinion. Um, there's no fact, you know, uh, you know, Maybe, you know, put down the, the warrior keyboard stuff if you're coming after us for, <laughs> for some of these things or you disagree, hey, these are just opinions. And, uh, you know, if it inspires you to think more deeply uh, or you have a, a different opinion, then by all means, uh, let us have it. Uh, we'd mm-hmm. love to hear from you in the comments or even email us at podcast at, at co. But moving on, can uh, we've talked about Lazada and, and Shopee quite a bit. Can you, in your opinion, just quickly maybe a minute or two, break down just what the differences between the two are.
1: Yeah. Um, I think it won't even take a minute. Um, The positioning of Lazada has generally been slightly higher than the position of Shopee. Shopee wanted everyone to buy anything. uh, Domestic, uh, cross-border, whatever. And for that reason, Shopee has the biggest reach and has the largest consumer base. Um, What is though happening uh, especially in the last six to nine months, is that Lazada, the way that they... like They they did two things to get that, let's say, higher positioning. Um, one, they were much more intentional around partnering closely with brands that have higher market assortment. Um, okay. They knew and understood what those brands needed. They needed close partnership, account management, um Assurance that your your products are not going to show up next to fake products, you know that kind of stuff. So they were good at that, which Shopee just didn't really worry too much about uh, on it during their rise. The other thing was that Lazada generally did not um, did not endorse or support the very bottom of the categories. So um, in beauty, for example, the very cheap cross-border brands, Lazada was perhaps tolerating them, but never really promoting them. That has changed in the last, yeah, certainly in the last year. And so from from where I sit, what it looks like is basically Shopee and Lazada are becoming more and more the same uh, to a point now where I wouldn't really worry too much about differentiating my go-to-market uh, strategies on on the two. They are starting to look more and more homogeneous to me. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Maybe
0: not a fair question, but... Are there differences in um, vertical? Let's call it ownership. Is one the king of other vert- You know, of a vertical, whereas you know the other has a king in something else. And I'm always interested because how you look at success can change. You can look at activity. Um, you can look at cart size. Uh, you can just look at at revenues or mm-hmm. actual profitability uh, and that changes on where when you're at the low end high 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 volume but you may have had, may have low revenues um but then you may have high profitability uh so can you talk about the difference between them down there in those regards
1: yeah it's not too different to be honest and there's okay. also variance between the markets um mm. we cannot see Lazada's profitability um because it is it's so kind of wrapped into the whole Alibaba uh, holding structure. Um, Sharpie famously has become a little bit uh, 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 profitable in Q1. It will now be very interesting to see how that develops in the next coming quarters because of the threat of TikTok shop Um, uh, that will maybe not allow them to carry on being uh, so prudent financially. Mm. So I think we we will kind of see what shakes out when the... uh, when the next sets of quarterly results are are, are reported. But no, they are not that different. Um, I would say in some individual markets, they do have more ownership of a certain category. But no, I think as a whole, they are more similar than they are different. And I think it's a big misperception in the market. There is A lot of the brands that we work with would say, Sada. there's one shopper. And then Shopee is a very different shopper. And so I need very different strategies. And we're like, well, eight of the eight of eight of 10 customers overlap between the two. So like how different is it really? Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Um, maybe a, a, a a
0: last question on those two before we start, you know, start talking a little bit deeper about TikTok. Um, just generally speaking, that e-commerce ecosystem, um, what is it fair to ask you to compare given that you're so knowledgeable about Southeast Asia? And I don't want to assume that you uh, know as much about what happens in the West, but could I ask for a bit of uh, a comparison from Southeast Asia to maybe the U S to maybe China just on UI UX interface, brand strategy, delivery times, penetration, that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Um, Southeast Asia is much more aligned to China. Okay. Um, so I think actually China is an excellent reference point. Um, uh, Lazada got its UI from Tmall. Shopee has a lot of the same. Uh, TikTok shop is a complete, more or less complete duplication or clone of the e-commerce parts of Douyin. Mm-hmm. Um so I think that's where we look to. Comparisons to the West, um, I think it's more different than it is the same. Uh, so, for example, just the uh, presence of brand.com, the presence of large kind of um, single category e-commerce destinations, something like Salando or ASOS, uh, it's, it's just not huge. It is really a game of Shopee Lazada and TikTok shop. Uh, 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 and then these these local local contenders, um, and I, I for me it it feels much more similar to uh, to China. Yeah, I mean, one of the things, and I
0: told you before, and listeners know have been listening. I have a background in UPS, so I'm a bit of a logistics fanboy. <laughs> so yes, China and the US are fascinating to me, but they are gifted. They are. They have population distribution plus geography uh parameters and perimeters that are just almost unfair to compare others to you 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 can't compare even in the logistical realm which impacts everything else let's be honest uh you can't like southeast asia unfortunately i mean they don't get to compare to anybody because it's crazy different over there uh boats and planes and you know planes trains and automobiles um you know Mm -hmm. all all the time there so um we don't need to comment on that but it is definitely worth reminding everybody that there is a severe unfair advantage with you know population distribution and and just almost this 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 rectangle of of or circular rectangle if that's such a thing of the way china and, and the u.s are built so uh okay, we'll move on from that. Um okay, um Financial Times story, uh you were quoted, uh the emergence of TikTok as an e-commerce player in Southeast Asia. Um obviously TikTok Shop, what moves is TikTok making in the region. Um and is it a legitimate uh challenger, which we already know that it is, but uh talk about more in depth what TikTok is doing.
1: Yeah. Um it's it's really quite fascinating. So there, at the regional level, again, at single country, there is more nuance, but at the regional level, it has really been a game of Shopee versus Lazada the last like five years. Um, there hasn't been a serious third player up until now. So uh, TikTok has obviously been huge in the region for a couple of years as a entertainment or social content platform. Uh, and then at the beginning of 2022, they started slowly launching e-commerce features first in Indonesia and then in the other countries. And I think um, there was not of a there was not a lot of attention paid to it in the beginning. Like I, I was working with my co-founder full time on e-commerce uh, market data and research all the way back to the beginning of 2022, and we didn't even start to think about or see TikTok for real, you know, until well into the summer. But then something like we just started to see it in the numbers, like uh, particularly in beauty and fashion, uh, just a very rapid rise of uh, of sales, uh, the uh, emergence of a new set of winning brands. So brands making uh, in in some instances tens of millions of dollars annualized sales, right, on this platform that were not really super famous from the platforms that we had seen before. So they mm-hmm. might be like ranked 36 in fragrance on Shopee. And then on TikTok, they're number one or number two, right? So I'm like, huh, this is interesting. Um, and then I think crucially what we saw was the first thing TikTok did was just sort of obvious, which was to integrate payment into the social experience. And that's something where meta or the whole, yeah, the Facebook, Instagram, that whole ecosystem had really been fumbling the ball in an almost unimaginable degree. Like they've been talking about doing this for like five years and it's all stayed with some small pilot programs. Like it's incredible that they didn't manage to do it. So TikTok just came and did that. And so I think a certain share of the market shifted just because now consumers could very easily pay after looking at a live stream or uh, watching a piece of content or something like that. But then Very interestingly, we started to see TikTok really behaving like an e-commerce company, building huge account management teams, uh, co-funding marketing activities with the brands, paying for free shipping subsidies, hosting double-day mega campaigns. And we were like, wait a second, we haven't seen this kind of player before that is starting from the social part of social commerce and then really taking the commerce part seriously as well. And I think that combination has turned out to be uh, lethal uh, and, and to work really, really well. So across, the, uh, uh, across Southeast Asia, you know, we believe the, the GMV for last year, the sales for last year was over $4 billion, about 2.5 of that coming from Indonesia, so a pretty significant volume already. Um, that entire 2022 volume, we believe, was exceeded in the first quarter of this year. So it's growing very, very fast. And I think for this year across Southeast Asia, I wouldn't be surprised if TikTok shop ends up doing somewhere between 13 and 18 billion uh, US dollars of of trade. Uh, So it's just become a massive force very quickly in categories like fashion and beauty. It has taken share from Shopee. It has taken share from Lazada. Um, and it's really shaking up that whole that whole uh, uh, marketplace, which is 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 fascinating and very good for brands and very good for consumers. Is
0: this? So I'm I'm interested to ask further about this from the fact that Lazada and Shopee are mostly platforms, but TikTok has the influencers. And having that kind of, you know, ammunition coming into the game here um, gives you a lot of advantages. And I'm wondering also if that either restricts the verticals that you can really grow in fast, Mm. although it gives you a super unfair advantage to really grow fast in articles where influencers are so important.
1: Yeah. Um actually for that Financial Times piece, I think one of the interesting topics that we discussed was what can go wrong. Because right now and I'm I'm also hyping up TikTok shop. I mean, you can you can hear that. But I think it has to be a balanced it has to be a balanced uh, discussion. And um, a lot of these amazing growth rates or projections that we have kind of assume that nothing will go wrong. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I've never tried being in a business where nothing goes wrong. And so some of the things that we need to see in order to make sense of these large forecasts is indeed, for example, TikTok shop needs to prove that it can generate significant volume outside of beauty and fashion beauty and fashion is like 70 75% of the the the, the volume on on the platform now and those yeah. categories they lend themselves very well to be sold in a live stream or a content adjacent setting right um and that is indeed where the influencers are and where tiktok is benefiting so much from the fact that people are opening up the app they don't need to be paid to open up the app right like or that that there's no need for an ad to drive people mm. to open the uh, the app they do that by themselves uh, for several hours a day, um, so I think that is a big question mark. Um, we are starting to see some inklings of FMCG home and office categories also doing well. For for instance, in Indonesia, um, you can you can sell a lot of toothpaste on TikTok Shop in Indonesia, for example, or electric toothbrushes. Uh, but it is not it's not yet a uh, it's not yet a given, and it could very well turn out that they're gonna have a much harder time in 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 those other categories. And those other categories are so important to get to the next level of growth because you you just cannot get to those high GMV figures of Shoppe and Lasada if you don't have a good electronics category, if you don't have a good sort of large white goods uh category. And there is there is barely any of that so far. You mm. you would really you'd not buy a Samsung smartphone on TikTok Shop right now. There is probably like four people who've done it, so they've used it in an example for you know slide deck somewhere. But that's not the norm. Um, and I think I don't know if they can, but I know that it will be much harder for them to do that than it was to conquer beauty and fashion.
0: Okay, one more question before we talk about Cube Asia. Have Any of the platforms done, maybe they've already done it and done it very well, but I'm not sure because I haven't seen it yet. And that could just be me not seeing it. But going the route of Amazon Basics, where you see everything, you see what's being searched, you see what's already on your platform, you see what the prices are. You know what you could probably get your hands on manufacturing it for and brand it yourself. And yes, the you know I, I don't think anybody who's had an Amazon like anybody any brand or product that's had an Amazon Basics come out against them is very happy about it. Uh, but have you seen any of the platforms there running that model out?
1: Yeah, uh, that's uh, I love that question. The short answer is no. Um so both Lazada and Shopee have not have not done so. Hmm. Um but uh TikTok seems to be starting now. Hmm. Uh and uh, they have now I'm forgetting they have like a code name for this project which is about being, you know, uh, their their own their own brand group too and sourcing products. Uh uh and I think that's another potential threat to TikTok's rise is that um, for all of their uh, complexities, both Shopee and Lazada have basically grown with a very merchant-friendly model. Uh, They are true marketplaces. They are not really interested in being retailers, at least so far. Uh, TikTok seems to be jumping seven steps ahead and doing that already. And I, it might turn out to be very successful for them, but that will certainly be and that, w- that will be something new. That that's not something that we have seen before. Um, so yeah. no, the 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 Amazon Basics uh, comp we 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 don't have in a significant way in Southeast Asia yet.
0: Yeah, because if TikTok does something to piss off their core, yeah, which is a different core than what Lazada and Shopee have. They have to maintain that. They have to take care of a completely different audience. Um, and they're, you know, they've got their customers and their clients, right? They have to, their audience and their content makers. Yeah. Um, and and they, they, they definitely can't take their eye off the ball with regards to making them happy, which is just very, very different than Lazada and Shopee being able to be kind of locked in, focused on those that bring them revenue. So um, yeah.
1: And so my my personal opinion is that they, they ought to take good care of the existing merchant base first, because, you know, I, as an ex-retailer myself, you you want a well-rounded assortment, right? And I think it, it, doing Amazon Basics before you have those brands that you are then copying is a bit tough, right? Like you, you want a destination where people can choose, where they can see the Duracell batteries and they can see the amazon basics batteries and then they can decide for themselves but Mm -hmm. but if duracell is not there yeah like it's it just seems to me like it's skipping a few steps ahead uh in a sense but but it's i think so far it's a rumor it's a it's a pilot project so perhaps it's a small thing and they will actually come back and do it in earnest in a few years so maybe it's just fine
0: yeah i mean you don't want to really piss off brands and products um from allowing themselves to be present um but then i also do know that at the end of the day uh the only color that matters is green um and if they're
1: <laughs>
0: you know if they're still making you know money by being there then so be it uh as much as they maybe don't like it so uh okay so let's move on to cubasia you are the the co-founder of cubasia a market insights company um Tell us a little bit about CubeAsia, um, how it was formed, what your, what your thesis and, and what your vision is uh, with, with you and your co founder I don't know. Co- how many the co-founder? Yeah. Yeah, that's co-founder. One. Um, and then uh, tell us about Cube Asia in that way, mm-hmm. and then start talking to us about what you're seeing, hottest consumer sectors in the region. You know, it's a bit yeah. of a softball question for you, but uh, <laughs> yeah, tell us what you do and what you're seeing.
1: No, of course. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I mean, I've spent the last, what, 10 years in, in and around e-commerce in Southeast Asia. And um, after leaving Sephora, and I'm still good friends with Sephora. I had wonderful time there and it's great people. Uh, after I left, I, I wanted to start a startup. And uh, through a windy path, I ended up in consulting. And uh, I met there my now co-founder, Sarab who's, a, who's an absolute genius. And uh, he and I bonded uh, um, over... Uh, a problem, which is e-commerce has gotten so big in Southeast Asia. Why is there no good market data? Um, offline retail, you know, best practices, you will every month, you'll be looking at your ranking in certain categories. You'll be looking at which competitors are rising, which ones are are declining, what kind of assortment is moving, what price changes are happening. What is the market size, blah, blah, blah. And uh, we were just not in our consulting context. We would go and try and buy that from market research providers, right? And we just couldn't find anything that we thought was granular, or accurate enough. So we thought the, like the e-commerce is now big enough that there should be this. So there, there should be a market. So perhaps the reason why it doesn't exist is because it can't be done. Maybe it's too difficult. So we, 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 we started very small by trying to, to square out like one category on one platform in one market. And we were able to generate some good stuff there. And, and that's really what we formed the, the, the company around. Uh, so we are only, a, yeah, we're less than a year old. Uh, we are now present across Southeast Asia. We work with, you know, brands, institutional investors, consulting firms to give them clarity on their online selling environment. Um, these brands tend to have great online, like good e commerce analytics, attribution planning, attribution for their modeling for their marketing spend, web analytics. They know themselves very well. We help them understand the landscape uh, uh, across Shopee, Lazada, TikTok Shop, Tokopedia, all these kinds of chal- uh, channels. And it's a very tough problem to crack because we hold a, a very high bar on accuracy and, and reliability. Uh, uh, but we are taking it just one step at a time, and so far, it's 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 been really a wonderful, wonderful ride. So we are we are about eighteen people now on the team, including a wonderful data team, uh, and uh, yeah, producing uh, market sizing, category sizing, competitive environment reports for 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 these different kinds of customers. Okay. Um, so so that well, that's that's what we do. Before I forget, where do people go? To get access to
0: everything that you do?
1: Yeah. Well, um, cube.asia is a good place to start or, or search for me on LinkedIn. Um, we have taken a growth uh, approach, which is if we have 100 fuel units and we can spend them either on making the data good or making the delivery form amazing, like a beautiful UI or something like that, we're putting all the fuel units on the data. So, right now, most of what we do is good old Excel sheets. Uh, which sometimes I think is a little bit, uh, some of the clients are a bit like, wait, what is that it? Um,